Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Kevin, we're at the end of season four and we want to circle back to our 5Bs framework, which is what this podcast is all about. Now, Kevin, probably around 20 to 30 episodes ago, I stopped doing little bits at the beginning of our podcast so we could just jump right into the meat of the content. It also made it a little more timeless because I guess if someone heard this podcast, a podcast from 20 episodes ago and they heard it now, they might not be fully across my personal life like I'd like them to be. But I do want to say, Kevin, I got a hole-in-one. I love golf, and I got my first ever hole-in-one. I'm stoked, and I just wanted to share that with everyone. Congratulations, George. That's big news for golfers out there, I know. I'm not personally one, but I know that it's a very big deal. So congratulations, George. And I'm hoping you got the accolades that you richly deserved. I keep telling everyone like this and I keep waiting and pausing for them to congratulate me. So I am. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> okay, look, this we want this again to be another timeless episode, Kev, that we can point people to when they ask about our 5Bs framework. So today we're going to talk about why we made the podcast, what the 5Bs framework is, who it's for, and how our B2B marketers can really use it to drive growth sustainably for their business. That's it, listeners. It's been a while since we started the podcast, 90 odd episodes, and we're here at the end of season four. And we'd like to take this opportunity to go back and talk about why we are talking to you at all, why you're listening to the podcast. If you've recently joined us, obviously, it's good to know who we are, why we're doing this, who it's really made for, and how you can get the most out of it as well. 
But for our long-term listeners, there's going to be value in here for you guys as well. We're reflecting on our time so far, over 90 episodes, and what we've learned, how things have tweaked. Thankfully, the framework hasn't changed. So we got it right near the beginning, but obviously new things that we've added along the way to fine-tune our vision and our message. So please do tune in this episode as we recap. And it's always good to rise where we are, where we're going, and why we're here at all. All right, Kevin, listeners, look, we made this podcast really so that we could show businesses how they can generate demand step-by-step using our 5Bs framework. When I say step-by-step, literally before we recorded episode one, Kevin and I sat down and wrote the skeleton for basically 100 episodes because it would take us roughly that long to share exactly step-by-step how to implement our 5Bs framework in your business. Now, we've spoken a lot about the 5Bs framework. What the hell is it? The 5Bs framework is really, Kevin, my simple framework to consistently drive revenue for B2B companies. We base it on people, not platforms, which means that it's evergreen. It really puts the customer at the heart of your marketing. Now, a lot of businesses would probably call what we're doing demand generation. We are leaning into that term, Kevin. We think it's just good, sustainable B2B marketing, but there's a reason that we're actually not calling it sustainable B2B marketing and we're using the word demand generation. And Kev, it's actually because it's a marketing thing. So demand generation is an existing category, right? Like it's got rising interest. People are talking about it. There are job titles, like there's demand gen marketers, heads of demand gen, and it aligns, the principles of demand gen aligns a lot with our own framework. It's an established category that people understand. And Kev, you and I, we just don't have the resources to try and create a new term and a new category. So we're choosing to tap into something that people already care about and then redefine it. I just don't know, Kev, if we could get people to care about something that sounds as boring as sustainable B2B marketing. In fact, Kev, I actually once told someone that what we do at the B2B Playbook is we're really involved and interested in sustainable B2B marketing. And this particular marketer retorted to me, I think it's so important that we all do things to take care of the planet. And I was like, oh my God, okay. (laughs) I'm never using the word sustainable B2B marketing again because clearly people just don't associate that term with, I guess, what a lot of the principles are in demand generation. So that term is gone, Kev. It's about demand gen. There you go, listeners. That's why we don't call it sustainable B2B marketing, even though it really is. We are leaning into the term demand generation. But remember, the 5Bs framework is the key here. It's our simple framework for showing you how to consistently drive revenue for B2B businesses. All right, George, why do we need to show people how to start generating demand in their businesses? There were three key problems that we saw in Marketplace, particularly for B2B businesses. The first being that businesses typically focus very heavily on the 3% that are ready to buy right now. So it's like the analogy we've used in the past where you're swimming in a pool full of sharks and everyone is going after the same bit of chum. And this is fine initially because that 3% will get you enough business to get going. Um, But it makes it very hard to scale. Everyone is targeted to add those who are ready to buy. It's not very scalable because there's only 3% there that you can really talk to, that you can really close. And we've worked with B2B clients, particularly one in the finance space, and it was really difficult to scale. We felt this pressure of trying to get more leads, but we're seeing the CPLs rise, the costs rise, 
and the quality decreasing very quickly as we started to tap out that 3%. And so that is one of the frustrations that really started us on this journey of discovering what's a sustainable way of growing a business in the B2B space. And just to go into that problem a little further, Kev, for the people who are watching, I've actually got a, a diagram that I drew, a cute little graph maybe, Kev, which really shows the problem that so many businesses face when they only focus on that 3% who are ready to buy right now. And it's the experience that we've gone through a handful of times that so many marketers go through. And what happens is like when they launch into that 3% of the market who's ready to buy right now, they spend money on channels that have the highest intent. So people who are searching to solve a problem that they have right now. And that platform typically is Google Ads, right? If you're looking for a CRM, you will Google CRM for small business or whatever it might be, or CRMs that are great for salespeople and boom, Pipedrive is there. You'll sign up and you'll get Pipedrive. Now, Everything looks really, really great there because we are targeting that limited pool of people. We're just starting to dip our toes in the water and we can afford the CPLs that go along with it. We can afford that cost per lead because we're normally going after more longer tail searches that are specific and relevant to our brand. The second phase that normally comes on after this, Kev, is where we start getting into trouble. Over time... As that business starts to scale, they start to put more money back into Google ads. Very often, more aggressive lead targets are set by executives. Sometimes it comes from venture capitalist Kev, and those targets often get missed. And the reason is we're still competing in that 3%. Our brand is really not established. We're now trying to compete for more generic search terms which aren't quite as related to our product and are a little bit more generic. And quite frankly, because we're competing for those terms, we just can't afford the cost of them. But what do we do? We've got those lead targets. We still have to go after them as much as possible. And we don't know it at this point, Kev, at this second stage, but the lead volume really doesn't get to where we want it to be. And the quality also decreases. Then Kev, what happens is when we reach stage three and we're still just trying to operate in that 3%, this is where everything blows up in the marketer's face, very often in the performance marketer's face. The lead quality is really not there. There's long average sales cycles in B2B. So there's often a bit of lag between the money that you spent six weeks ago, really trying to ramp up leads, and then the delay from sales and going, hey guys, the quality of these leads are terrible. We like No one has even heard of us. No one wants to get a meeting with us. And meanwhile, we spent all this money trying to acquire those leads. The finance guy finally runs the numbers and they go, you know what? Our business can't afford to sustain this. And the consequence is really bad for the marketer, Kev. It's really bad if it's an agency that you're working with because they basically go, what you're doing isn't working. We need to find someone new to do it. And I've just heard from so many marketers that this is a huge pain point. And this is what happens, Kev, when we only focus on the 3%. What we recommend that marketers do sooner rather than later, Kev, is look, there's nothing wrong with capturing that demand in Google ads. Like you've got to eat. Your business has to get leads right now. And if there's demand for it out there on Google ads, absolutely go out there and try and capture it. But we also need to start creating demand or and putting 10 to 20% of our budget and time into building relationships with people earlier on in their journey before they go into that 3% of people who are ready to buy right now. A really helpful concept, Kev, that I love thinking about 
when it comes to the customer journey is the five stages of awareness. And it was coined by a guy called Eugene Schwartz. And again, we've got a graph up on YouTube and it really shows that of the five stages of awareness, we need to start marketing to our dream customers way before they're actually ready to buy from us. So the five stages are quickly unaware, meaning that your dream customer isn't even aware that they have a problem. It's problem aware is the second stage, meaning they're aware there's a problem. Solution aware, where they're starting to explore different solutions to that problem. Product aware, where they're comparing your solution to other solutions out there and they know more about your product. And then finally, most aware. And they're the products who are really on the brink of purchasing from you. Now, when we operate in that 3% of people who are ready to buy right now, they're typically those who are in the latest stage of solution aware, product aware, and most aware. As we said, that's just 3% of the market. We need to start marketing to those who are problem aware and unaware. So we need to start our marketing far earlier in the journey. It's a really a great way of thinking about this customer journey. And it's a key concept that marketers need to understand and need to start enacting on if they're going to drive sustainable growth for the business. So that's the first pain point that we really tried to solve when we started the podcast. It's something that we felt as well. And it's one of the main ones that we talk about is businesses typically focus so heavily on that demand capture side and that 3% that they've really hit those later stages in that process where they're starting to feel a lot of pain around how can they keep scaling when the rest of their business is scaling, their performance marketing and their demand capture and their lead gen isn't really keeping up with that scale. And we just indicated there that the five stages of awareness is one concept that's really helpful for you to look at that and how to get around that problem and hopefully not fall into that cycle of scale and decline, but always plateauing at a certain level. So that's the first problem. Very closely related to that, the second main problem that we saw that we've experienced ourselves is many marketers, because of the way the system's set up, because of the focus on leads going into a sales business or sales-led business and B2B marketing and B2B businesses, often marketers are sort of shooed in to focus purely on lead numbers. And very few of these over time really turn into opportunities and revenue for the reasons that we talked about in the previous pain point. And in the second main pain point where there's so much focus on lead numbers, there's a misalignment that develops between marketing and sales. And overall between marketing and the business. It's often a very inefficient way to drive pipeline. There's a lot of quantity, but there isn't a lot of quality. And sales then comes back and says, oh, the marketing team isn't doing a good job. These leads are terrible. Even though we're getting a lot of them, it's taking so much of our time to sift through them and find the good ones. And then there's a lot of work then for the sales team to do and for the business as a whole, even though there's so many leads being driven, it's the same problem that they're costing too much overall to realize that into revenue. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement. And it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. 
head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. And Kev, it's something I've again illustrated for those who are watching on YouTube. It's a very simple graph. It shows really two pipelines. One is driven by lead gen and the other is driven by demand gen. Now, the one on the left shows a much less efficient funnel where if we generate roughly 500 leads with lead generation, very often that lead to opportunity rate is super low. It can be as low as something like 1%. Sometimes it's even lower because we're just focusing on just getting this contact information. And these people don't turn into opportunities because they're not a great fit because they don't know our brand and they're not ready to buy from us. Now, if just 1% of leads turn into opportunities, that's only five opportunities. And if we assume a 20% conversion rate from opportunity to customer, that's just one customer. So we started with 500 leads and we finished with just one customer. Now, in contrast, if you go down the path of demand generation, and if you are focusing on demand generation as opposed to lead generation, Rather than 500 leads, we're actually probably going to collect far less leads, probably just 100 leads because they're much higher intent leads. We're not out there just trying to grab contact information. These are people who have raised their hand and they've said, I'm interested in a demo from your product or they've somehow expressed some very real intent in wanting something from your company. So you start with 100 leads because there's much higher intent. Let's assume that there's a 15% opportunity rate from those 100 leads. Often it's a lot higher. From those 100 leads, you get 15 opportunities. Now, in contrast, we only had five opportunities from the 500 leads in a lead gen model. Assuming the exact same conversion rate of opportunities to customers, Kev, 20% that we had in the lead gen model, that then gives us three customers. So we went 100 leads, 15 opportunities, three customers, Versus in the lead gen model, 500 leads, five opportunities, one customer. Now the demand gen model is going to be far more efficient because you don't have to have sales dialing through 500 leads to try and get those opportunities and ultimately convert those customers. They're going through a fifth of it. Now sales staff dialing is actually a cost and it's something that a lot of businesses don't factor in until I suppose a little bit later. And Once they do that, they realize that their method for acquisition just isn't as efficient as it should be, and it's not really sustainable. So hopefully, Kev, that graph really illustrates the difference between lead gen and demand gen and why businesses really need to start to look at taking demand generation seriously if they want to grow over the long term profitably. 100%, George, particularly in B2B businesses, that tension between marketing and sales, it really shouldn't be there. There's a lot of things we can do as marketers to shift towards demand gen and to make sales teams' lives a lot easier and for the whole business as well. Finally, the third main pain point that we were really trying to solve that we were experiencing ourselves and we were seeing is that it's the era of dark social. So word of mouth is something that really can't be tracked but is often, particularly in B2B situations, the key driver to revenue growth, to a business's growth and opportunities coming in the door. It's really a result of how people are buying changing, so their buying patterns changing. Often, as a B2B business, we don't want the sales team as involved as before. 
people are a bit more switched on as consumers when they start having a conversation with the sales team who are going for a hard pitch or as we like to call it getting pitch slapped they're a bit more aware of it they're immediately on the defensive and it really doesn't help build a relationship and get that sale in the end yes you will get some from that process yes some people will be in the right space to do it but it's not really effectively and efficiently using your sales team's full potential we as humans are much more connected to our peers we trust them already and we're likely to ask for recommendations or take their recommendations on much easier than a sales pitch and so it's important to start to build relationships with the community that you want to eventually sell to before you ask them to buy you have to build those relationships of trust give them value be helpful and then that will solve that problem of hey we're in this era of dark social how can we sell to people in these channels that aren't trackable that aren't easily hard sold into how do we get this word of mouth concept working for our business instead of against? And Kev, I think it's particularly relevant now because we're effectively in an era of marketers where like the last generation of marketers has just been trained by Meta and Google to believe that every single marketing action can be tracked and documented and can be attributed to an outcome. Like everyone has been using Facebook and Meta's like conversion objective and they don't want to run an ad unless you you see a 100% attributable conversion and ROI off the back of it. But that's the reality. That's not the reality of how marketing actually works, right? That's only capturing those people who are in the market to buy your product right now. But if we're going to create demand, if we're going to start to influence those word of mouth areas... We need to be able to do our marketing in those places, Kev, which are difficult to measure. And I've just, again, got another diagram up for those who are watching to illustrate the issue that comes about when we're so heavily reliant on our platforms to measure attribution and tell us which of our marketing is working. This graph that I'm showing, it shows a, a customer buying journey. It's hypothetical, but it's similar to one that I've seen in the past and really it's the path that someone goes from discovering your product to actually buying it. Now, the last two steps, Kev, the person buys your product and the CRM will tell you that before they bought your product, they Googled your brand name and then they purchased it. If you were to look in your CRM and look at what drove the purchase of that product, it would tell you that it was organic search. And if you were just taking that at face value, you would go, fantastic. Let's give more money to SEO because they're driving organic search. They're making us appear more there. That's obviously been a good win for us. But there's actually a much longer journey before that, before someone made that final decision to actually come to your website and buy your product. And in this hypothetical journey, which again, it can be a very real journey. and We've seen it just time and time again. It's very possible that person before they bought your product, they started discovering you maybe three months ago where a colleague shared a LinkedIn post that you created. And then off the back of them sharing that LinkedIn post, they then check out your company page because it's related to what you said. And they go, oh, this is really helpful, interesting information. It's relevant to me and my work. I'm going to follow it. So then they follow it. And then they discover that, hey, you've got a podcast too. And they listen to a handful of episodes of your podcast. It turns out that they're also a member of an industry-relevant Slack group and they actually discuss your thought leadership in that Slack group. They, again, don't take any action that can be trackable. 
you're because you're a good marketer, you're retargeting them on social and you have a product ad on social because you think that they might be in market and they come across that product ad on social. That might be the thing that finally pushes them to then Google your brand name and buy your product. But all those touch points before Googling your brand name and buying your product are very difficult to track. And that's dark social care. That's the last pain point, And that's something that we really want to tackle. So listeners, the three main pain points and problems that we were really trying to solve when we started this podcast and looking at the framework. And speaking of the framework, I think it's now time just to do a quick overview of the framework that we talk about on this podcast and through our materials. It's the five B's framework. That's be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better, and be the best. You can find more detailed summaries of each of these stages and Bs right near the start of the podcast where we go through each of these. And then we really dive into the nitty gritty of each of these and the components of each of these throughout the podcast. But really quickly, be ready is all about deeply understanding your customers. So we talk about principles like the 80-20 rule, positioning, messaging, your dream 100, very important concept there. Then it moves on to be helpful, where once you've deeply understood your customers, you can start to build relationships and you do this by educating and entertaining. Mostly online, we talk about online channels, but obviously there's a mixture of channels that you should be looking at that's appropriate for your business and your use case. And we talk about that as well. And then be seen once you've established some of those relationships, once you've started to create some of that helpful content and be helpful, you can start to accelerate the creation of demand and the relationship building and start to close it as well by amplifying it through some of these pay channels and other tactics that you can use that we talk about in BC. Be Better is all about optimizing your B2B marketing workflow. This is the season we've just talked about off the back of your foundations being built. You have a deep understanding of your customers. You've got helpful content out there. You're accelerating the dissemination of that content and the building of relationships through the things that you've built in place and be seen how can you get the most out of that whole workflow you have for your b2b marketing and how do you keep getting better and better once those foundations are in place and then be the best which we'll talk about very shortly in the coming episodes is all about advanced tactics used by really big guys in the space who are doing just a stellar job and really industry leading in their respective spaces. And one of the key concepts that we'll really start to talk about is neuromarketing and how you can really build that into your B2B marketing workflow. So that's an overview of the 5Bs framework. Now, a little bit more about why we created it. We've had those pain points that we talked about earlier, those three main pain points that really got us started on the journey. But there's a few other things in our past that's really shaped how the 5Bs framework came together. First, George and I met on the performance marketing side. We were both agency side. We didn't really work a lot in the B2B world, but over time we got more and more B2B clients and we started to test these things that were traditionally from the B2C side. So typically people would think about capturing demand and focusing on the 3% that are ready to buy. That's one of the pain points we talked about. And we went through all those different phases and we had similar pain points in our own journey and we found particularly in the b2b world it really doesn't work and it doesn't scale and so off the back of that we started niching down into the b2b space and 
we just grew more and more frustrated that we could only find disconnected pieces of strategy or hacks. There was no overarching framework that we could apply to really make B2B marketing work every time. And there was a real need for somebody to really start connecting the dots here. That's it, Kev. You and I, I suppose, um, lent on our nerdy background as lawyers. We studied up. We read every book on that shelf that's behind me. We worked with mentors. We researched as much as we could. And then we tested the best of the information that we had on clients. And then once we formulated all this disparate parts of strategy and tactics and blended it together into something that worked, we realized that we had a framework, something that was repeatable and something that could just make sense of all the bits of advice out there. And we decided to share that playbook that we wish that we had when we started out. And we decided to do that, Kev, right here on the B2B Playbook podcast. That's what it's all about. And part of that is about practicing what we preach. So the B2B podcast, the incubator that is attached to it, and all the programs that we put together it's all about being helpful. It's all about hopefully helping those marketers who were in our shoes a couple of years ago, five years ago, something like that, who wish there was this sort of framework or guide in place to follow and to start to build knowledge around. We want to put that out there. We want to be helpful. But then we also want to show other business how to then create and capture demand with their own product and service with a practical example, we start leading by example with the podcast itself, with the incubator and applying all the things we talk about to our own business. Yeah, it's really fun to build in public like that. Obviously, we do this for the clients that we work with, but it's really fun to go through this exact same process for our own business, Kev. We are literally, we've been through Be Ready, Be Helpful and Be Seen for our business. We're probably at the tail end of Be Seen for our own business. We're going to get to be better pretty soon. And it's so fun to see all those things click into place and for it to really drive the pipeline that it's driven for us. We're out here practicing what we're preaching, we're sharing our results, and it's very fun to build with the community behind us. And Kev, let's talk about that community. Who is this whole thing even for? It's for small in-house B2B marketing teams. That's who we originally had in mind, I think, Kev when we first set out to help these people, it's the situation that we were in. It's the one that we can empathize with the most. We know that you guys just have so many resource constraints. We know that you're under so much pressure to deliver. It's an exciting place to be in, but it's also a difficult place to be in and it can feel really lonely. And so they're the people that we really want to speak to. But having said that, Kev, we've had a great response from B2B marketers of all, si of all sizes and really, it's gone beyond just B2B marketers themselves. As that line between marketer and salesperson gets more and more blurred over time, I know that we've had salespeople tuning in. I know that we've also had business owners tuning in who are a little earlier in their journey and don't even have that in-house B2B marketer yet. So it's been great to help this array of different people. But really, at the core of what we're doing, it's helping those B2B marketers in small teams. That's it, George. I think the beauty of our framework being evergreen, being really applicable across the board for all B2B businesses and even B2C businesses to a certain extent is that everything is applicable on different stages, on different sizes and businesses of different industries and capacities. The idea that we started with small in-house teams, that is where most of these pain points are felt at their sharpest, particularly, as you said, with those small teams, with those business owners, and even sales teams who've been given the responsibility to market as well. 
And so they're very time constrained and they really have no idea where to start. And they're just taking hacks and tactics from different places and throwing it all on the wall and seeing what sticks. And obviously for a small business with limited resources, they don't really have that many throws in the bank. They don't have that many tries to go before they're really in a tight spot. So it's really important for us to put this framework together for them. So hopefully they have the best chance of succeeding. So that's the smaller end. But at the bigger end, I think a lot of bigger businesses in B2B, they have a lot to gain as well. The buying patterns are changing. The world obviously we know is constantly changing and so is marketing. So, so is that framework they need to apply. And when you're talking about B2B marketing online as we are today, a lot of those businesses might actually struggle a bit harder than the small businesses in the B2B space to really keep up with the change, to be adaptable and to have a framework to look at to really shift their approach to how they do their marketing as well. So I think a lot of those concepts, because it's all evergreen, it is really applicable to different stages and it's great for us to share that knowledge and to bring that community together as well. And George, I think another reason why we started this, which we know we don't really talk about because it's not one of our primary reasons for putting everything out there is because when we got into the space in B2B marketing, there wasn't a huge community, particularly where we are in Australia. It's much bigger in the demand gen space in the States, but really in Australia, there wasn't really a community around this, or there were budding communities that we really wanted to bring together and to build a larger community around B2B marketing as a whole, because there was a reputation that B2B marketing is boring. It can be very dull and it can just be a very long process where not everyone is sure if we'll ever get there. And we really want to turn all those assumptions around and start building a strong community around B2B marketers in Australia as well. Because as you said, it can be lonely, particularly in the small teams, even in big teams. And it's great to bring that community together, particularly here in Australia. And Kev, look, people might find it boring, but I think you and I have fallen hopelessly in love with it. When you get into the nitty gritty of B2B, it's just so fundamentally about people and psychology rather than all these different platforms. And I think I just find it endlessly fascinating, Kev. I know you love it too. And I really hope that by sharing this, like our enthusiasm rubs off on our listeners as well. And they can really love what they're doing each and every single day. And Kev, I think it's probably worth us talking about why we decided to try and help these marketers in-house. We've gone through the problems and the pain points that they have. You mentioned just before that, especially the marketers who are in small teams in-house, they often don't have a lot of rolls of the dice, right? Before their time is up, they're operating with limited budget and rolling the dice wrong too many times can mean, I guess they lose trust with the people who are granting them budget or worst case for a startup, your startup dies because your marketing couldn't get its engine going in time. Probably one of the things that we saw, Kev, especially in the B2B world, was that there was a real limitation in terms of what agencies could actually achieve for you. Agencies are ultimately an external party. They're a third party. And very often, Small teams would go and look to agencies to try and lead a lot of this strategic side of their business. And what they would bring was really a tactical-based approach that was cookie-cutter, often really focused on capturing demand. If they tried to create demand, we found that they would often rely on freelancers and other people that weren't true subject matter experts. 
And it's very difficult as a third party, and it's not blaming the agencies, but it's really difficult as a third party to truly deeply understand your customers, to understand your business, and then to leverage helpful subject matter experts to then drive a content engine, which can really start to build relationships with your dream customers. So we saw that was a real limitation of, I think, probably what was largely the status quo, Kevin. Yes, that's right. I think the agency model fundamentally means that it is much more difficult to apply to B2B space in the traditional sense that agencies have existed really just as an amplification tool for B2C businesses, for managing a lot of pay channels, maybe organic. Really, that model just doesn't work very well for a B2B business. And also we found that marketing is fundamentally core to a business. It's a key driver of revenue. This is something that needs to be aligned with the whole business. So it really has to be in-house in a lot of ways. And because of that, because of the lack of alignment, a lot of times that's possible with an agency, it's very difficult for an agency to make a B2B marketing strategy work being an agency. Plus, Kev, those in-house marketers, I mean, you guys are in such a powerful position and we want you to realize that you guys deserve a seat at the table. Like you're in charge of the go-to-market strategy. Like someone's working on the product, someone's working on the sales, but you should be the one who's developing like how people perceive that product. And that is one of the most fundamental things in a business. And so we want you guys to be taken as seriously as possible. So we want to equip you with all the information that you need to be a revenue generating asset for the business, not just a cost center. And then you can get that seat that you deserve at the table. And you're taking back that control as well. Hopefully with the framework, with the good work that you do, you're then able to say, hey, I'm responsible for revenue. I can positively impact that process of driving revenue to the business, of driving impact for the bottom line, instead of putting that off to sales, because working in silos never quite works out as you want it to, working as a whole team, as it should be, will get you the impact that you're looking for. And realistically, it's really the only way for you to have that positive impact and to have control again over marketing's impact on a business. All right, Kev, let's quickly talk about our own approach. Just very briefly, why did we choose a podcast? Why are we on YouTube? And why are we crapping on about it all the time on LinkedIn? Why didn't you kick off, Kev? Why a podcast? Why did we choose a podcast? Well, George, I think we talked about this a few episodes back, but we actually tried to start on YouTube and it, it really didn't uh, take very well. We really needed to have more practice talking about the message we want to get out there, talking about the framework. And podcast was a perfect medium for us to do that. We could prepare copious amounts of notes at the beginning. Nowadays, we prepare less because it's all very much ingrained in us and we're able to talk about it on the go a lot more. But back then, it allowed us to really note down exactly what we wanted to say and follow a script almost to talk about what was our key messages for each episode and make sure that we were able to communicate that effectively. And it is also a very much evergreen channel so it's content that stays there that people can go back and access anytime they want and we wanted this framework to be evergreen to be readily available and to be continually helpful into the future because it is very much evergreen content that doesn't change too much and people should be able to revisit and get value again from it over time and so that's why we went with podcast now that we're on YouTube, it's pretty close second, just because it's also evergreen. It's a channel that people can go back to and find that content. 
people like to consume your content visually as well so it's a bit easier and we over time we got our systems in place and efficient enough so that we could add another channel into our process so that's why we added youtube to the mix and it's also just one where a lot of our audience is like it's importantly we're following where our audience is podcasts always had a good following of b2b marketers and youtube as well is where people like to learn so we're really trying to follow our audience and follow where their preferences go to be where they already are and kev that's exactly why we chose linkedin as well we knew that if we just left our podcast alone like no one would ever find it we were relying on appearing in the charts which we weren't going to as a new podcast in a niche area of marketing. That was never going to happen. You and I didn't have a big personal brand at that stage. And then so we thought, where is it that our dream listeners are already hanging out? And we thought, hey, LinkedIn is a place where we can actually target them. And LinkedIn is the place where we knew that we could very easily target B2B marketers who were in small teams. And so I literally just started pulling them into my network by adding them, Kev. And that's how we got the snowball rolling. So that's why we're on those three platforms. I do want to also add, Kev, that I remember that day that we sat down to record our first YouTube video thinking it was going to be a YouTube series before a podcast, and you made me this beautiful carbonara. You'd gone down, you'd got this fresh guanciale. It was a delicious lunch, and uh, but the video that we made was absolutely pathetic. <laughs> it sure was, and it just shows how far we come, but a lot of different things we've learned in that journey in the process of talking about the framework and applying it to our own content as well so listeners it can happen uh, we did start off just like you not real content creators but here we are 90 episodes on and we've added a lot more things to the mix and hopefully getting better but it's always a journey all right kev where are we at in the journey now we finished the fourth b be better which is all about optimizing your b2b marketing workflow it's that season was really full of a lot of things that people typically tried to take on before getting the first fundamental three B's in place, be ready, be helpful, be seen. So it was a really fun season to do. And I suggest that our listeners check it out if they haven't already. And the next season, Kev, as we said, we're onto the fifth and final season, which is be the best. And um, very excited to share some more advanced tactics that the big guys normally use, Kev, a lot of things around neuromarketing, buying psychology, that kind of thing, which I think will be really, really fun to talk about and to test. Well, listeners, we want to give you a few quick tips about how to get the most out of our content, particularly the podcast. So the format of the show follows what we've been talking about, which is talking about a framework that is very much designed to be evergreen and to be serial so listen to in order from episode 1 to 90 it's all in order you should be able to revisit that at any time and get the framework from the podcast and it's great to see that it's really working in that way regularly we see people going back and listening to old episodes and that's great to see because that's exactly how we designed it to be and it's not really guest-driven, even though we've had quite a few guests on in recent weeks. The reason why it's not really guest-driven is because it's about the framework. It's about that evergreen framework that's really there for you to have in your mind so that you can add your own bits of information that you learn, tactics, strategies, whatever it might be, into that framework so you can start to build and tailor that for yourself so that you have a strong understanding of the space. It's really talking about the framework and it's really what we want to pass on. And we truly only have guests on, Kev, when we believe that they're going to add something really great to the conversation in the context of the season. 
and they're all people that you and I follow and get a lot of great information from. They're all people who have this very similar be helpful ethos that we have. And that's why when they come on, they're such great guests and people get so much from them because they've been handpicked by us. They're just an open book in terms of giving away everything. And uh, yeah, we feel very lucky to have them on and add to the conversation that's already taking place. So having said that, listeners, the best way to get the most out of our show is to make sure that you go back and you listen to it in order. If you have time, at least go through the summary episodes to get an idea of how the framework comes together, what the different components are, and then you can pick and choose on the bits that you think you need to dive deeper into to complement your understanding and to improve your understanding of particular topics. Um, so we really recommend you to go through and look for those summary episodes, particularly at the beginning of the series of 90 episodes that we've done so far. But having been on 90 episodes, we have changed a few things in that time, not the least that we're now on YouTube as well. But I think the biggest change is something that we should talk about as well at this point, George, which is that we started using the language around demand gen. Yeah, Kev, we didn't realize that what we were doing was demand gen. Back when we were really getting into it, we just thought it was good, sustainable B2B marketing practice. It turns out that a lot of people are now reframing this as demand generation. Demand generation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We really wanted to detail what we thought demand generation was. And once we realized that this was a term that people understood and were actively searching for, we thought it's a smart marketing move to piggyback off the back of this. One day, Kev, maybe we'll create our own term um, other than demand gen. I suppose the 5Bs framework is what we want people to be known for, but it's really our version of demand gen. And I think it's a really holistic approach to it. We do talk about, I think, great demand gen is both about capturing demand and creating demand. We do talk about capturing demand, but I think the part that really separates the average businesses from the great businesses that are really able to scale is the creating of that demand. And that's the process that really isn't very well documented and what we strive to document here on the podcast. All right, listeners, how can you act on the 5Bs framework? How can you act on our framework that we talk about? First, it's important to listen to the podcast and make sure you take notes if you can. It's a great way to get down the framework. There's a lot of detail that we talk about how to action things. Also watch us on YouTube now that we're on there. It's if you prefer that over podcast, George is waving there. <laughs> if you're seeing us on YouTube, if you prefer that medium, it's a very similar process. You can get the transcripts from there as well for easier access to the information written form. And for those of you who are ready to act, join the waitlist for our program, the B2B Incubator. The next launch is in August where we take you through our framework in a cohort manner. You can come to us with questions in fortnightly sessions where we take you through and give you helpful advice on how to implement the framework on your business. Yeah, and very pleased to say, Kev, that our last cohort in May, all spots were taken, which was fantastic to see. And those fantastic. marketers are just beginning their journey. So again, listeners, we give you the strategy, the templates and tools to implement our demand engine in your business. So very excited to see so looking forward to you joining us there. Okay, Kev, key takeaways. Key takeaways for this episode, listeners. The 5 Beast framework, which this podcast is all about, is our simple framework for how marketers can consistently drive revenue for B2B companies. It's based on people, not platforms, and puts the customer at the heart of your marketing. 
Hopefully, you as B2B marketers will be able to apply this practical framework that we talk about on the podcast to your own marketing. Beautiful. Thank you, Kevin. Listeners, as always, you can find links to everything that we discussed in the show notes. And we're so grateful that each week more and more marketers tune in or catch us on YouTube every Monday morning. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass on the show to someone who you think would get value from it. And please feel free to leave your feedback and a comment on YouTube. It's a huge help to us, our future listeners, and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.